Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Over 60 million Americans have already voted, and millions more by the end of this week. I believe when you use your power, the power to vote will change the course of this country. Right here in Georgia, with all of you, these are the final days. So keep that sense of empowerment with you, that sense of optimism, what we can do, what we will do, what we can overcome, what we will overcome. Look, folks, I've been around a while, but I've never been more optimistic about America or the American people than I am right today. But I know it's hard. Over the past few months, there's been so much pain, so much suffering, so much loss in America. More than 225,000 dead Americans because of COVID-19. 7,800 right here in Georgia. And millions of people are out of work. 
on the edge. They can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And Donald Trump has given up. Over the weekend, the chief of staff of the White House said, I quote, we're not going to control the pandemic. At the debate last week, Donald Trump looked at me and said, we're rounding the corner. As my grandfather would say, he's rounding the bend. He said, it's going to go away. We're learning to live with it. I told him, we're not learning to live with it. You're asking people to learn to die with it. And it's wrong. <laughs> Donald Trump. Donald Trump has waved the white flag, abandoned our families, and surrendered to this virus. But the American people don't give up. They don't give in. And surely they don't cower. And neither will I. I will put in place the plan to deal with this pandemic responsibly, bringing this country together with testing, tracing, and masking. It's estimated that if we wore masks the next few months by his own experts in the CDC and other agencies, if we wore this mask the next few months, we'd save 100,000 lives. 100,000. It's estimated we lost over 135,000 lives so far needlessly because he's done virtually nothing. But still, Donald Trump refuses to listen to science. We shouldn't be politicizing this race for vaccine. We should be planning for its safe and equitable and free distribution when it comes, and it will. Providing for funding for PPE, masks, gloves, all the things we need to set national standards for our schools and our businesses to open safely because they can. The House of Representatives already voted the money to provide for safe opening these schools. But Trump was either locked in his sand trap on his golf course or in the bunker in, his, in the White House. He's not brought anybody together. Think about this, all of you are old enough. You can think of any president where there's been a national crisis who didn't bring all the parties together in the White House to try to solve something. He's done nothing, nothing. But I'm going to bring Democrats and Republicans together to deliver the economic relief for families, schools, and businesses. I said before, I'm not going to shut down the economy. I'm going to shut down the not going to shut down the country. I'm going to shut down the virus. Look, Donald Trump crashed the economy that Barack and I left him. Like everything else he's left and inherited, he squandered it. We can build back better with an economy that rewards work, not wealth. We can do it without raising taxes on the middle class. I guarantee you, no matter what you hear this president lying about, no one making less than $700,000 a year, or it should be $400,000 a year, will have one penny in taxes raised. Not one penny, it's a guarantee. But we're gonna ask, we're going to ask the wealthiest and the biggest corporations, 91 of the top corporate companies in America paid zero federal income tax. We're going to ask them to begin to pay their fair share. No one will pay at a higher rate than they paid at the beginning of the Bush administration. That's who we'll deliver tax relief for, working families, the middle class, to help them buy their first home, help them pay for their health care premiums or child care or caring for an aged loved one. Trump got a Supreme Court justice, and you know why he did it? He's cleared everybody now to destroy the Affordable Care Act, to take away the health care for 20 million Americans who have it. 
and over 100,000, 100,000 were covered because they have pre-existing conditions for the first time, including 340, 340,000 Georgians, 100 million Americans would lose their protections for pre-existing conditions, including more than 4 million here in the state of Georgia. Complications from COVID-19 are going to become the next pre-existing condition because of heart scarring, lung scarring, allowing insurers to jack up your premiums, deny coverage, and women will once again be able to be charged more for their health care just because they're women. Donald Trump thinks health care is a privilege. I think it's an American right. Look, and if we all get out and vote, you'll not only store Obamacare, but we'll strengthen it and build on it. So you can keep your private insurance if you or choose a Medicare-like public option. We'll increase subsidies to lower your premiums and deductions, out-of-pocket spending, reduce prescription costs by 60%. That's what the experts are telling me. And they'll tell you. We're going to make sure we keep the protections for people with pre-existing conditions. And by the way, I'll protect Social Security and Medicare. Meanwhile, Donald Trump says if he's reelected, he's going to change how we fund it. Ladies and gentlemen, the actuary at Social Security said if he does what he's proposing, if he's reelected, Social Security will be bankrupt by 2023. Go home and tell your parents who work like hell for that, what that's coming up. Donald Trump fails to contend white supremacy. He, does, he doesn't believe there's systemic racism is a problem. And he won't say Black Lives Matter because they do. We know they matter. That's why a season of protest has broken out all across the nation. Protesting, though, is not burning and looting. Violence can never be a tactic or tolerated, and it won't. But much of it is a cry for justice from a community that has long had the knees of injustice on their necks. The names of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Jacob Blake will not soon be forgotten. Not by me, not by us, not by this country. Folks, they're going to inspire a new wave of justice in America. But true justice is also about jobs, <clears throat> good-paying jobs, at least as the mayor got done here, a $15 minimum wage and financial stability. We're going to pass a national $15 an hour minimum wage. Nobody, nobody should have to work two jobs to be above the poverty level. It's wrong. We're going to change it. And by the way, when we do it, what all the experts will tell you, even the Wall Street types, we're going to raise the economy, raise the standard of living for everybody. When folks at the bottom do better, everybody does better all the way up the ladder. We're going to give black and minority families a real shot to own a home, start a small business, send a child to college debt-free so they can build wealth and pass on opportunity through the generations like everybody else who's moved in the middle class has been able to do. We're going to invest $70 billion in our HBCUs and minority-serving institutions. 
So students like Maya studying at Howard, or students at Warhouse, Spelman, Clark, Allen, Clark Atlanta University, the future generations of proud students continue to get the very best education. And by the way, in the White House, I've committed, there is going to be, in the outreach community, a section of the Divine Nine will be included. That's a promise. You know, I've been told that I kind of grew up a little bit of chip on my shoulder. Being an Irish Catholic kid in the town that kind of looked down on it, I tell you what, you know, I didn't realize I do, but I realize I do have a chip on my shoulder. When I read from serious, serious people about eight months ago, something about how if I were elected president, I'd be the first president who didn't go to an Ivy League school in a long time. Like somehow, it meant I didn't belong. I know Senator Harris would be the first HBCU graduate to serve as vice president. And I say it's about time a graduate from a state university and an HBCU graduate are in the White House. Don't tell me we can't do it. Because if we're sitting there, you will be there too, I promise you. Folks, I'm optimistic because I know that we can meet the challenges of the climate crisis by unleashing American ingenuity and manufacturing to create millions of new high-paying jobs, investing in technology and research. Folks, this is all in our capacity. We can do this. You know, there, are, there aren't a lot of pundits who would have guessed four years ago that the Democratic candidate for president in 2020 would be campaigning in Georgia on the final week of the election. Or that we'd have such competitive Senate races in Georgia. But we do, because something's happening here in Georgia and across America. People of different races, backgrounds, Democrats, Republicans, independents, they're coming together to transcend the old divides and show what's possible. And this is the most important election in any of your lifetimes. It's a battle, as I said at the outset, for the soul of America. And we're showing who we are. You and I, Reverend Warnock, John Ossoff, all of us. This country can't afford four more years of Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell. They can't afford four more years of leaders who think they're the only responsible for people who vote for them. Folks, I don't see America that way. This has to change. It will change with me. Every American, including the guys on the other side of the fence, will be seen and heard and respected by me. If elected president, there will be no red states or blue states. There will only be the United States of America. I was reminded of that earlier this month when I went to the sacred grounds at Gettysburg. Abraham Lincoln taught us about the need to unite a nation. I was reminded of that earlier today when I was up in Warm Springs, reflecting on Franklin Roosevelt taught us about the need to heal our nation. Folks, I'm running as a proud Democrat, 
while I'll govern as an American president to unite and to heal. And I promise you, look at my whole crowd, work as hard for those who don't support me as those who do. That's the job of a president, a duty to care for everyone. So in these final days, stay empowered, stay optimistic, stay united, because you too have a sacred duty, the duty to vote. It matters. Georgia, it matters. So please vote. Help get out the vote. Early in-person voting in Georgia goes through October 30th. If you're voting by mail, return your ballot as soon as possible. And make sure everyone you know does the same. Don't just take yourself to the polls. Bring your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, your neighbor, your friends. Drop your ballot off the ballot box. Visit IWillVote.com slash GDA to find the location in your community. And remember, remember the final words left to us by your late congressman, my personal friend, an American hero, John Lewis. He said, quote, the vote is the most powerful nonviolent change agent you have in a democratic society. He went on to say, you must use it. It's not guaranteed. You can't lose it. Use it. You have the power to win this election. There's nothing beyond our capacity. There's no limit on America's future. The only thing that can tear America apart is America itself. No other nation can do it. Only America can tear America apart. Everybody knows who Donald Trump is. Let's show them who we are. We choose hope over fear, unity over division. We're live here in Atlanta, yes, Georgia, where just a moment ago, uh, Joe Biden just finished speaking uh, on the stage there. Uh, the this is a drive-in rally. This is actually it's Aaron's uh, amphitheater that's uh, here in uh, Atlanta. And so what and you're seeing here, you're seeing all of these cars Georgia, here, of course, uh, at this drive-in rally. Yesterday, of course, we were in uh, South Columbia, South Carolina on yesterday, uh, where Jamie Harrison had his rally at Benedict College. Uh, outside of their stadium. Right. And so what is happening here, same thing is happening. A little bit earlier, uh, Common, uh, he performed uh, along with Pastor William Murphy, uh, their version of Glory that took place on yesterday. A number of people are here right now, folks. Uh, we got Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, Congressman Cedric Richmond, so many others, Congressman Hank Johnson, uh, and so many others uh, who are here. Uh, they, are he they are here, of course, supporting uh, Joe Biden. Here we are, seven days out, seven days before the election, and to see a Democrat campaigning in Georgia is a very big deal. It's a very big deal. And so uh, we earlier, we talked with, uh, we, we, first of all, it's not just Joe Biden in a tight race. John Ossoff, Democratic Senate, running against Senator David Perdue. Very tight race there. Reverend Raphael Warnock, he's running against silly Senator Kelly Leffler, Congressman Collins. Also a very tight race. All the work that has been done in the past uh, six, 10 years to register people, especially people of color, is paying off as Georgia is a competitive state in this 2020 election. We got a jam-packed show for you here. And so we're gonna bring it all to you coming live from Atlanta. This is Roland Martin Unfiltered. It's time to bring the funk. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's 
is Roland Martin here. We are here in Atlanta, Aaron's uh, Amphitheater here, uh, where uh, Vice President Joe Biden just finished speaking at this drive-in rally right here uh, in Atlanta. Folks, uh, he, of course, uh, is here. Democrats uh, are performing extremely well. Republicans are very concerned about losing Georgia, not just the presidential race, but also the U.S. Senate race. And so uh, all the dictators were out here. Uh, John Ossoff is running for uh, U.S. Senate. Uh, Raphael Warnock, who is running. Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. Congressman Hank Johnson. Con uh, Congresswoman Lucy McBath. So many others out here again showing their support for Joe Biden. Seven days until uh, Election Day, November 3rd. And, folks, uh, it has been absolutely jam-packed. We've got a great show for you folks. Reverend William Barber is going to be here. Also, we'll be talking about the importance of the black vote, uh, a, uh, a survey released by the Black Collective Pack. Uh, a lot of different things going on. I want to do, do, do this here. I want to bring in my panel. Mustafa Santiago Ali, a former senior advisor, environmental justice, EPA. Uh, Rena Shaw, the Lincoln Project Women's Coalition. Kelly Bethel, communication strategist. Uh, Mustafa, I, I want to start with you here in Atlanta uh, to look at the fact that Joe Biden is here, to look at what is happening in this race. Again, as I said, Republicans are very, very concerned. They could be on the verge of losing a southern state that has been in their column for more than two decades. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, Georgia's been moving. Georgia has been moving toward blue for a while. We all know that Stacey Abrams uh, only lost by a small amount of votes. I think it was about 55,000 votes. And they know that folks are motivated and, and folks are mobilized and, and folks are voting and, and folks are ready for change to happen. And Georgia is one of those places that traditionally Republicans would have thought that they would have had it locked up. But because Donald Trump's failed policies, because of his lack of focus, you know, on COVID-19, and we know how devastating COVID-19 has been both in the inner cities in Georgia, but also in the rural areas as well, he's completely lost ground. And now Joe Biden uh, is moving toward victory in that state if they can keep moving in the right direction. Uh, Rena Shaw, again, uh, Republicans have always counted on the southern states like Georgia. They, that is not the case now. Uh, we saw how Stacey Abrams performed here. They are very concerned. COVID has been a serious issue. Uh, Donald Trump is bleeding white voters. But the key here has been a massive, massive turnout of African-Americans and other people of color. That has made a huge difference when it comes to this race. Yeah, Roland, it's about mobilizing the African-American voter to understand what's at stake here. And, and they get it. Look, this is so funny how all this has turned out because Kelly Loeffler and Doug Collins, they really thought, they really thought that the turnout wouldn't be what it would, what we're seeing already, the forecasts could to be. And I think what we are really seeing is the suburban women really energized against Loeffler, against Collins, for example. I mean, you've got two really bad choices. Doug Collins no. has been somebody that has been a complete Trump lawyer. Kelly Loeffler comes rife with her own issues. I mean, the insider trading, tipping, she is just somebody that doesn't really seem like she connects largely with this new Georgia voter that's a, a younger Republican, uh, a white college-educated suburban mom like we always talk about. That is who I believe will be delivering victory, coupled with black Americans in Georgia. That is exactly who will deliver this for Biden and Harris. So it makes, uh, you know, it makes complete sense to me why they're there today, why Joe Biden is there saying the words he's saying, and he's, he's bringing that tie to John Lewis. Brilliant. I really think this will be really good.
Uh, Kelly, hold tight one second. We're about to interview uh, Anthony. We're about to interview the mayor of Atlanta. Uh, and so uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms. So we're going to chat with her right now. Uh, so, Anthony, go ahead and just give the microphone. We should have her stand right there on the white line right there. There we go. There we go. All right. So that's what happens, y'all, when we're live. Of course, things just change. And so he's going to bring the microphone over in just a second here. Uh, mayor Bottoms, glad to see you here. Glad to be here, Roland. Thank you. There you go there. All, All right. right then. All right then. So uh, first so first and foremost, um, I've been saying from the outset to see Joe Biden, Democrat, in this state seven days out, that's uh that's kind of big. It is, and I, I literally am exhaling as I am joining you. But I, I don't know the last time this has happened. The last time um, Georgia was won by Democrat was early nineties, I believe. So the fact that he's here and that this state is in play really speaks to the power of our vote. Uh, not only that, you have two huge Senate races, John Ossoff, Raphael Warnock, that also is contributing to this. Um, what have you been seeing? And, and, and really, was it? what is it? Has it been the intensity to register people over the last uh, six to 10 years and get, get people to understand, get, get Democrats to understand that if you actually go out and cast, cast the net, you actually might get a return. Well, and you know, it's a combination of things. Voter registration efforts. Georgia is a motor voter registration state. So when you get your license, you can, it's easy to register the vote. Our problem continues to be people showing up to actually cast that vote and reminding people, you know, and I mentioned it when I was on the stage, my race was 832 votes. So it matters. Every vote matters. Uh, that whole issue turnout obviously uh, is is huge, uh, and uh, I was just talking to someone over there, and I said, "Look, this is not right now about trying to convince somebody. Now it's a matter of literally turnout, 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 uh, and then trying to push as many folks as possible uh, to the polls." It, it it absolutely is about turnout, and it's about reminding people that Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania, those states were lost by less than fifteen thousand votes. Excuse me, it's allergy season in Georgia, as always. But That's why I packed Zyrtec in the bag. Yes, it's <laughs> about really people embracing the power that's ours. People, you know, and it sounds like a cliche, but it's so true. People died for our right to vote. And for us to sit this out, we, we, none of us are perfect. You don't want perfect candidates. You find c perfect candidates in, in compromising situations usually when they appear too pristine. You want people with some with some scrapes and some bruises and who can understand and relate to the issues that you're having in your family, who have those issues in their families. People who can sit around the table with you like I've done with Joe Biden, look you in the eye and he can tell his story and I can tell his story and I know we're speaking the same language because he knows our communities. So I want a president who cares about our communities, who knows our communities, who will work with our communities, who has an ear and a heart for our communities, and that's Joe Biden. That's why I'm supporting Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Uh, last point here, uh, we are, have seen a tremendous response uh, from people of color all across this country, especially African Americans on HBCU uh, campuses uh, as well. Uh, again, set, set seven days left. Uh, what do you, I've, I've asked this several different people. Uh, looking at camera there and make the case to somebody who's watching us right now who's saying, look, I'm sorry, I don't like Joe Biden and the 94 crime bill. 
I don't like what he said in the past. I don't like I don't like Trump as well. So the easiest thing for me is to say I ain't vote for anybody because frankly nobody's speaking to my interests. What do you tell that person? What I would say to people who think that it's okay to sit this one out, imagine had Dr. King set out the civil rights movement or had any number of other people said, no, I'm not going to be bothered. If if Barack Obama has said, no, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to bother with being president. Think about where this country could be. Think about where it can be. Think about the sacrifices that other generations made for us to be here. It's not perfect, but it's our responsibility to make those same sacrifices <coughs> for our children and our children's children. Our voice is in our vote. And if we don't vote, we are failing ourselves and we are failing generations yet unborn. All right then. Mayor Keisha Lance Bonds, we appreciate it. Now get back in the car with the air conditioning so All the right. allergies wear you out. You need a ride? No, I don't need a ride this time. <laughs> we, 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 we got the ride right here. We drove, we were in Columbia, South Carolina last night with Jamie Harrison. Uh, and so it was cheaper for us to drive to Atlanta than fly. So we okay. hopped in the car and drove here. That, that That's an in, uh, inside joke. Last time Roland was in Atlanta, I had to take him home. Right, at the top of studio at the debate. So I'm like, I'm like, since the car going that way, might as well save my brother some Uber money. But thank you for everything you're doing. I appreciate it. Thanks so All very right. much. Love you. Thank you. I appreciate you. it. All right, folks, uh, that is uh, Mary Keisha Lance Bottoms, uh, of course, uh, here in Atlanta. Folks, as you see, again, the rally is over. Joe Biden is out there, of course, waving at folks, things along those lines. Uh, I was up uh, before. I, I went uh, I went to uh, broke away. We go back to Kelly Bethea. Kelly, again, want you to weigh in on this race and how, again, how things have changed dramatically this year to see Georgia in play. The fact that Georgia in play at, is in play at all is absolutely remarkable. Like you said, for th basically the entirety of my life, Georgia was a red state. And I understand that Biden has just said, here. you know, there are no red states or blue states. It's just the United States. That may be true. But Georgia was a red state, let's be honest. And the fact that enough people have voiced their concern about that state, voiced their concern about the trajectory of that state in comparison to how the country is going, it tells me that the state is ready for change and that the people who are running also reflect the new um, uh, mindset of Georgians in that they want change to happen. So I am pleasantly surprised. I am excited. It is absolutely remarkable. But my excitement is only going so far right now because we are only still seven days away. Election has not happened yet, but votes are coming in. Just pray that it actually goes in our favor so that we can have a president in the White House who actually cares about the United States, like Joe Biden. Well, again, I think I mean, at the end of the day, first of all, uh, nothing is guaranteed. Uh, we make that point all the time. But I do think it's important uh, to understand, again, competitive, competitive uh, we're seeing this race in so many others. We're going to be talking to a number of people here uh, from uh, Atlanta. We'll be hearing later from John Ossoff, from Reverend Raphael Warnock, both of them who are running for the United States Senate. We do want to talk about a big story uh, that happened out of Philadelphia, massive protests that have been going there after a black man, again, mentally disturbed, holding a knife, shot and killed by police. Uh, folks, it is shocking and stunning. 30, 30 officers were injured. They shot 27-year-old Walter Wallace Jr. They were responding to a call, a man armed with a knife. The officers ordered Wallace to drop the knife several times, but he continued to advance towards them. Folks, the video is shocking. 
It could be triggering, so we're going to warn you right now in advance. Watch this. Yo, this shit going on. Yo, watch yo, watch the wheel. Don't shoot the wheel. Yo, this shit crazy. going to smoke. Yo. Yo, watch my wheel. Yo, this shit is crazy out here. Oh my God! Oh my God! Bro, they just killed them in front of me! Yo! Yo! Y'all ain't had to give them that many fucking shots! Y'all ain't had to give them that many shots! Now, folks, uh, his mother was trying to de-escalate the situation. Uh, the officers fired uh, the weapons. They hit him 10 times, y'all, 10 times. He was pronounced dead uh, at the hospital. Uh, whilst his father, uh, Wallace Sr., stated that his son struggled with mental health issues and was on medication. Joining us right now is Reggie Shuford, Executive Director, Philadelphia ACLU. Reggie, welcome to Rollermart Unfiltered. Hey, Roland, thanks for having me, sir. Good to be here. This, this, is, a per this is a perfect example of what people have been saying when it comes to defund the police, that officers have to be able to figure out how to deal with people who are mentally disturbed as opposed to going for the gun and shooting and killing them. Shouldn't have, the police really shouldn't have been there in the first place. They had visited his house three times that day, and on this third time, they knew, right, having been there twice already, that he was experiencing a mental health crisis. They were not prepared um, to de-escalate that. If they're going to show up, they need to de-escalate. But honestly, should they have been there in the first place? I think first responders with this background and, and de-escalating mental health crises and dealing with mental health crises should have been the ones there in the first place. I don't think the police were called for this situation, which is precisely why we say defunding, not defunding, but divesting from the police is an essential thing to do in these situations. When they made a change in San Francisco, the mayor, they would send mental health professionals to the scene first. Then, if need be, they will call police. Uh, I've seen, we, we've covered this story too many times. Kojima Powell, black man, St. Louis, shortly after Michael Brown was shot and killed, same situation, had a knife. It was 16 seconds from the moment the cops pulled up to the, to the shot being first fired. The young man in Dallas, same thing. Mom, mom calls the cops. He was playing with a screwdriver. Cops said, put it down, put it down, put it down. He didn't even charge them, shot and killed him. He's dead. And so, I mean, this is the problem. Many cases where people who are mentally disturbed, but these police officers, they immediately resort to killing someone. That's, that's absolutely right. And as you said before, other people are better trained um, at de-escalating these situations, and they should be the first responders, not the police. Um, and this is, in Pennsylvania alone, this is the third time um, a person of color with a mental health that. issue has been killed and just since Labor Day. Um, and, and it has to be better. I think using violent Deadly force should be the last resort. It should not be the first resort. We just, the police are just not trained and they shouldn't be expected to handle 
every situation. There are other social issues that other people have the experience and the expertise and the presence of mind to ha handle in a better fashion, which I'm certain would lead in fewer deaths. Um, uh, first and foremost, what has been the response of the mayor and the police commissioner to the actions of these cops? They promised to do a thorough and transparent investigation, uh, and we'll see. Uh, I think transparency for the department has been an issue in the past. I'm just going to be completely honest. But I think now more than ever, people are taken to the streets and they're demanding that transparency, and we won't settle for anything less. Um, all right, then. Um, we certainly appreciate you joining us. Thank you so very much. Thank you for having me. Mustafa, this is the issue that we continue to deal with. Police officers, again, who they are, they are trained to shoot to kill. They are protected by the law. At some point, folks have got to stop thinking that calling the cops is always the first thing to do. Yeah, without a doubt. As was said, you know, it makes sense. The, one of the problems is where we invest. So when folks are talking about defunding the police and talking about investing, you know, investing in those mental health uh, professionals who should be a part of. There's 45 million people in our country who suffer from some form of mental illness, all the way beginning with depression, you know, all the way up to some of the more serious aspects uh, of mental health disorders. So if we know that, then you need to invest because you know these types of situations are going to come up. The other part of it that we have to call out is the fact that folks, when de-escalating a situation, should have tasers. So if someone is utilizing a taser, then hopefully that won't kill somebody. There are those rare cases where that happens. And these officers evidently did not have that. So I don't know how you have a pair of officers, and at least one of them doesn't have a taser, to be able to utilize in those types of situations if it comes to that. The third part of this is that, and you know, I was on a gun range since I was about 9 or 10 years old. If you can't shoot somebody in the leg, you know, as a last resort, then you got a problem actually being out there with a deadly weapon. So there are so many different things, along with the district attorney, along with the police chief and all these folks who are now running for offices saying that, you know, they believe in criminal justice reform. So we'll actually see if that really plays out in this situation. And not only that, shot 10 times, Rena. 10 times? Not one time? One Except you should have got one time. That's gonna that's gonna stop their forward progress ten times? We've seen it time and time again, Roland. And I tell you, I still have goosebumps watching that. I don't know if and ever any of us should ever become accustomed to seeing a human being die like that. I mean, I just can't take any more of these videos as a mother to see that mother wailing, begging those officers to stop, to de-escalate. Are a mother's words not enough? I mean, who can we trust when we can't call the cops to help with a situation like the one her son was experiencing? My very first thought is, why are these two officers ganging up on him like that? I'm not anywhere near the law enforcement community. I don't I don't have anybody who works in law enforcement. I've never been a part of it. And I even would think, wouldn't you want one officer behind this guy, one in front, and shooting at the leg or at the foot? Something that doesn't mean that he has such a fatal blow given to him. And like the guy on the video said, why'd you guys have to shoot him so many times why'd you have to give him so many shots it doesn't make sense so the rioting that follows 
yeah, that actually makes sense to me now. I'm not saying violence is ever the answer. I'm not saying shooting up businesses and looting them or arson or any of that is the answer. But how much more can these communities take when you see that? And I've never even lived in a community that looks like that. My skin color is not black and I'm over here feeling feeling this so mad. So let me tell you, when our lawmakers don't do their part, people can take to the streets nonviolently and talk about what we need to do. And I'm so glad Danielle Outlaw's in this role. Uh, she's the Philly Police Commissioner, the first black woman to be at this post. Um, she says that the investigation is going to happen. It's going to be done thoroughly. I trust her. I mean, she's got to know what this feels like. And uh, look, I mean, I, I trust her because she did things like, you know, saying they're going to stop using tear gas back in, in May. So I think we'll see some reforms, but this shouldn't have had to happen. That young man did not need this. And so we need to continue to talk and get out there and nonviolently demonstrate how we feel when law enforcement does this in communities like that one. Uh, Kelly, uh, again, we've seen countless examples of stories like this where someone mentally disturbed ends up dead because cops' first instinct is to shoot and kill. Not only is their first instinct to shoot and kill, their first perception of black skin is a threat. Their first vision of a black person is a sense of evil or something that needs to be eradicated from this earth. And that's not an exaggeration because this is the end result each and every time. And it makes absolutely no sense to me. And it shouldn't make sense to anybody why that young man is dead right now. Why that mother literally ran out and tried to de-escalate the situation. Like, do not kill my baby. And she watched police officers, people who are supposed to protect and serve her and her son. She watched them take his life. That is beyond traumatic for her. That is beyond traumatic for this community. And it shouldn't be happening. And to piggyback off of Mustafa's uh, sentiment about defunding the police, in all fairness, these communities don't even know what resources are available to them except the police. So that also needs to change. The resources that are out there now, as is, to de-escalate situations, the phone numbers that are able to be used to call somebody and de-escalate the situation before the cops show up, that's not something that is in our everyday lexicon, in our everyday routine. So we need to change that, too, first, before we do anything, because those resources are already available to us, and they need to be more accessible to us as well. But we do need to defund the police, too. But I just want to say that we do have resources available, and that should be the first call. And that needs to be shared to the community so that tragedies like this don't happen anymore. Well, that that is certainly the issue there. Uh, th and is also, this is one of the issues that is a part of this campaign as well. You see Donald Trump, full embrace of law enforcement, but you see Joe Biden talking about the kind of work that we need to see happen when it comes to reforming police departments, but these things don't happen. And so here we are seven days out, and this is certainly a flashpoint there uh, in uh, Philadelphia, and so we'll certainly be covering more of this. Got to go to a break, uh, folks, when we come back, more from Atlanta. Uh, where Joe Biden uh, had just finished having his rally here. It's all about Georgia. It's about one, one of the battleground states. We'll talk more about that. We'll also talk.
talk to Reverend Dr. William J. Barber, who is on a caravan across the country, galvanizing poor people to vote as well. We'll hear from John Ossoff, Raphael Warnock, both who are running for the U.S. Senate, all of that and more. Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from Atlanta. Back in a moment. You know, in, in financial services, my committee, for example, I know that we are not covered adequately. I know that there are a few uh, newspapers, for uh, example, that focus on financial services issues who may write something about it, but the average media does not get it. And our newspapers at home don't get it because we're talking about everything from derivatives, you know, uh, to the VOCA rule, and that's not sexy. And people don't get that. But you know, when you have something like the Boca Rule, what you're talking about is keeping these banks from taking the money that's deposited in them by the average worker and going out and gambling with it and trading, you know, as these big banks do. You are working oftentimes on issues that deal with, you know, Wells Fargo, for example, to stop them from taking out accounts in individuals' names that don't even know that they're creating these accounts where they're trying to make their bank look as if it's growing so that they'll get a lot more investments in it. So whether we're talking about uh, dealing with the fraud that's perpetrated on the average person by some of the biggest banks and financial institutions in this country, or we're talking about the fiduciary rule that will stop, you know, investment advisors from taking advantage of the average person who wants to get some advice on their investments, and instead of them directing them what's in their best interest, they're only looking for what's in their best interest and how much money they're going to make if they get you to invest in a certain product. That's not written about and it's not going to be written about but we just have to do the work that needs to be done to protect people uh, that need to be protected our people faced right when they their lives were actually threatened by the state state sanctioned violence you know being hung and being uh, murdered and, and, and burned and bitten by dogs and, and sprayed with fire hoses that our people went through that. We had people die on the battlefield so we can vote. Black man music, the hell's that's for long nights and hard fights on the block with two blocks and I'm known to strike and the eye is isolated and introduced to the crime life serving these fiends making some loot and the elf means are falling and I'm losing my mind but I'm alone to get stronger while I'm doing my time and then the E means erasing this society rules and I'm crying in the dark cause I got ghetto blues from the streets to the jail to the prison to the hood 1.4 million of us we got the keys to the kingdom I'm talking about freedom freedom and my friends they all left me guess they thought it would die but through the grace just like your soul leave your body when you deep in your sleep and we are scars people but we real unique and the pressure that you feel when you fight to get strong i feel it too and my brothers we got the whole on and all my sisters i'm sorry for the pain we cause but you know the flex is weak so we got made the flow from the streets to the, the streets. town to the prison to the hood 1.4 million of us we got the keys to the kingdom i'm talking about freedom, freedom. Your mother on that crack, but she really won't help. 
that was built for us. Treated like an animal, so was mine. With rotten rust, too many years gone, you out. But you sad cause you broke. And your kids full grown, so you sell some dope. One year, you stayed out. And you back in a fix. You get a visit from your daughter, and she say you ain't fit. So you cry under the pillow, and your body's real cold. Cause you know you're facing life without parole. Looking at the man in the mirror, he was hard as G. Only us can save us. Yeah, I'm talking to we. Wait, Welcome back. Roland Martin Unfiltered here in Atlanta, uh, where Joe Biden had his rally here at this driving rally, the Outdoor Theater. We've talked about the importance of people of color, poor people, how it's important to organize them in the South. That's what Reverend Dr. William J. Barber and the Poor People's Campaign have long talked about, and they have been doing, putting in the work over the last several years, picking up the mantle where Dr. King uh, left off in 1968 when he was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. Dr. Barber joins us right now. Doc, how you doing? I'm well, man. I'm actually right in the middle of a caravan. Uh, with teachers and the A. Philip uh, Randolph Institute, and we're riding through uh, the hood, if you will, and pushing people out to vote and helping them understand that, you know, there's a time that you cry and you mourn and you say what other folk have done to you, but then you look at your own power and you decide and recognize you can fight back, and then you fight back. And so that's what we're doing now, trying uh, what, to say to folk, you know, it's time to do that. Yeah. Uh, what's what's What city are you in? We're in Raleigh. We're in Raleigh. What we did, you know, we have 17 days of early voting in North Carolina. And so we're right here in Raleigh. We've been going through the city. Uh, uh, Randy Weingard with AFT and their 1.9 million members, she brought a bus in and we put union folk together and working folk together and poor people campaign people together. And what we're doing is driving through with microphones and saying to folk, you know, vote and telling them what they need to do. Because the uniqueness here in North Carolina is you can register and vote the same day. You don't even have to be registered right now. You can go and register and, you know, register and vote at the same day, same place, same precinct. And so that's an, an incredible opportunity that we fought for. You know, we won that roller. You helped us win it, as a matter of fact. You know, uh, we had to go to war in the courts. Uh, to turn back what this General Assembly was trying to do here when it was led by Tom Tiller. Now, I'm glad to hear that Biden is in uh, Georgia and talking about poverty and talking about organizing people, because that's what expansion is, brother. I mean, we've done the numbers. You and I have talked about them. The numbers are quit, clear from North Carolina to Georgia to South Carolina to Florida to Texas. The, the, group, the, group, the base that holds the key is uh, black folk and poor and low-income white people. But even with African-Americans and poor and low-income African-Americans, if you look at the numbers that did not vote, most places over 30 percent 
if just 5% of those folk vote this time that didn't vote last time and vote properly and vote strong and vote their agenda, it changes everything all over the South. Uh, again, that particular point there, uh, we've been saying it for the longest. But again, you got to actually put the work in. And you know what? It may not pay off in one election cycle or two election cycles or three election cycles, but it will actually pay off. Y'all experienced that in North Carolina after 2008. Obama winning by 14,100 votes. Republicans then turning the tide. Y'all had to deal with this in 2010 in the midterms, in 2012, 2014 midterms, 2016, 2018, and now for people who don't understand, Democrats, uh, again, progressive voices, six to one on the state Supreme Court, uh, beat back Republicans with racial gerrymandering, declaring that unconstitutional when it came to redrawing those districts. But that was putting the work in. And this putting is where I in. think for our people, our people, Reverend Barber, and, uh, and we're going to hear from Raphael Warnock as well on this. You can't depend on parties to do this because they only nope. think in terms of the candidate in the next cycle. Exactly. You can't depend on the party. You actually have to help the party and push the party because the party only depends on that. And sometimes the party will look at even races in the South, and if they don't see a win up front, they won't even invest in it. So you have to invest in your own destiny. You have to fight. You know, even in 2016, Roland, we beat Trump everything down ticket in, in, in 2016. And then we furthered that, the victory by winning, as you said, against the racist voter suppression laws. And now we're back at this again. But you, can ne you can't let up. And the numbers, this is what I want to keep saying to folk and to the party. You and I are saying it, it makes absolutely no sense. As, I, as I've said over and over again, that in most of these states, you're talking about 1% to 20% at the most of organizing poor and low-wealth people and black people and brown people and white people, 1% to 20%, not even 25%. All you have to do is work, go where people are, talk to them, lay out the issues, speak to their issues, talk, talk about how your policies are going to impact their lives, because people now understand more than ever that we are voting not just for candidates, we are voting for our very life. Uh, last night, we watched something. This is the way it came to me today, Roland. We watched the United States Senate and a president, a Republican Senate and a Republican president, choose to put one woman on the court but refuse to pass the stimulus to keep thousands out of a casket. I mean, that's, that's the state of our politics right now. And that's why we have to put in the work and why we have to engage this vote and why you can't even listen to, the, to, to certain news. You'll talk about it, but some news commentators, they talk as though nothing can change. Everything is on change. You, this vote turns out you could end up with three African-American senators in the United States Senate. That is not some uh, far-reaching, far crazy uh, 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 you know, thought. It's right here, y'all. It's, it's right here. But you've got to put in the work. Well, you've actually, got to turn out the vote. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a perfect example. We were together, we were together in Mississippi. Uh, 2018, mm -hmm. runoff there with Mike Espy. He loses by 68,000 votes. 
if you're Democrats, you should look at that and say, wait a minute, he lost about 68,000 votes. How many black people uh, were eligible but did not, were not, how many people were eligible but were not registered? How many were registered but did not vote? How many poor whites were eligible but did not register? How many were, el how many were registered but did not vote? And let's go find them. You can pull the precinct find numbers. Them. You can literally pull the numbers right. to go in this precinct. There are 689 voters, only 200 voted in the election. That's 400, and you do the work, but that's the real deal. I don't, and this is where, again, you, we, we got to have groups that are nonpartisan, like the Poor People's Campaign, who are putting in the work, doing what SNCC did in the 60s, doing what CORE did in the 60s. That is the only way, because, and then, this is where these Democratic uh, billionaires, that's where your money should be going, because Republicans are doing exactly. it. Republican billionaires but, are funding conservative media. They're funding these things. Right. They funded the Federalist Society. This Supreme Court and federal, federal, uh, the federal uh, bench, that was funded by dark money from conservatives because they want to control the courts. Progressives better wake the hell up. They better. And, Doc, and in, 1970, in the early 1980s, the Koch brothers had a secret meeting. They said, we will no longer endorse Messiah candidates. What we're going to do is build think tanks. We're going to build uh, legal groups. We're going to invest in nonprofit organizations that are working in the community. And they said, we're going to build a movement. And then we can make our own messiahs because we're going to build a movement that can reward our friends and punish our enemies. And progressives and others better recognize that. And over these next seven days, people better do everything they can. I, I told somebody today, they were, they were saying, oh, 67,000 million people have voted. I said, let me tell you something. First of all, the last election was 127 million people total. And the person who won 3 million more votes didn't win the presidents because of the Electoral College. We have a long ways to go. We've got a lot more people to get out. We got to have massive turnout. But I'm telling you, after this election, let's do this. But after, we got to rethink a whole lot of things. Because what we have learned in this election is that a battleground state is where you battle. <laughs> a battleground state is not just, well, this is a battleground state. This is not a battleground. No, a battleground state is where you battle, where you put in the work, go after the voters, speak to their issues, register them, and get them to the polls. That's what makes it a battleground state. Well, absolutely. Uh, that is uh, critically important for folks to understand uh, and accept. Uh, uh, last question for you, uh, Reverend Barber. You're on this caravan. Y'all have been going different places. Uh, just give our folks a sense what it has been like to go, not just where black people are, but when you've gone right. to Idaho, when y'all have gone mm -hmm. to Kansas, when y'all have gone to some of the whitest parts of America, and people are speaking about the same issues as poor black people and poor Latino people across this country. It has been incredible. In fact, we go to those places and we take people in the communities who've never seen each other and talked to each other. It's amazing how they began to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've been kept from each other, particularly, and we, and we don't back up from race. You know what? We deal with race and poverty. And people start seeing it. I'm telling you, when we move across, I, was, I had a, a sister on from Mississippi the other night, white sister from Mississippi, and she talked about all of her family members that just had not been voted, now in the Poor People's Campaign, now engaged. And she was saying that people were saying that that particular community was Trump. She said, no, the people that voted, which is two or 3,000 votes, voted for Trump, voted Republican. But she said there were thousands of us that weren't voting for anybody. 
And one of the things our campaign went in is said, okay, maybe you didn't vote because the Democrats nor the Republicans called your name, but now it's time for you to call your own name. And so they are engaged in the campaign. They are engaged with, with, with black folk and brown folk. They even are able to talk about this race issue in a very clear and profound way. And so going across this country has shown me that there's a possibility out there. Now, I, I get naysayers, and they say, well, they're not going to do this. And this is not. I said, but you haven't been in the community. You haven't been among the people. You aren't willing to put in the work. I'm not saying it's going to happen overnight. But I'm telling you, I know for a matter of fact, anecdotally and empirical, that if you that, that there's this remnant out there in America, and if we take the move and keep moving and going and lifting, they have the power to transform the electorate in this country. 64 million poor and low wealth people in this country. 29 million voted last time. 34 million did not vote. But here's the thing. The data tells us if we can get poor and low-wealth people to just vote at the same level of those that make 50000 and above and vote in an agenda, they can change the Senate, change the presidency, and even change what we call, quote-unquote, battleground states. It is right here. And we're going to see a lot of that in this election, which is why we have to get through it, and then we got to keep working. Absolutely. And that is the key. We keep saying you got to put in the work after the election. Reverend Dr. William Barber, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. God bless. Uh, Mustafa, uh, the same thing we talk about again, mobilizing people in this country. Uh, organizations have to do that. You, you mobilize them around issues. You do not mobilize them around candidates. You don't mobilize them around parties. It is about issues. That is, to me, I think the thing that we're seeing, which is one of the reasons why I think we're seeing uh, at the Parkland and so many other shootings, how students are being mobilized as well. Same thing. Those uh, those voters, those uh, those voters who are uh, Gen Z, they could also be difference makers if they use their power. So we're already seeing in some of the early numbers that have come in that young people uh, are voting in higher numbers than we've seen before. And they're very focused. The young people that I work with across the country, they know what they're voting for. They know what their expectations are, and they're also going to hold people accountable. So when you see this huge amount of young people who are now voting to address the issues of climate change and environmental racism, you know, they know who are the candidates. They know what their platforms are. But they also know that once they cast their ballot, they still have a job to do to push folks. You know, folks across the country, I was talking with some folks back home in Appalachia, and the things that they care about are jobs, and I was surprised justice was also a part of it, health care was another part, and, of course, COVID-19, because COVID-19 is eating folks up in the rural areas uh, as well as in the inner cities. So folks are, are very focused, and you're right. When you get folks around these issues and help them to understand, and that's why I appreciate the work that Rev is doing, because he's really anchoring folks and the things that have to change and how they can change and how your vote can be transformative in helping to actually move not only our own communities, but our entire country forward. Rena, 2004, Howard Dean gave a speech. And I think it was, he was in Georgia. I think he said, God, gays, and guns. It's how Republicans have always targeted uh, white, poor voters in the South, especially in rural America. This is where, with the Poor People's Campaign, they are dealing with them on their issues. This should be something that people are learning from in terms of how they are operating. 
Well, look, Roland, I mean, I grew up in Appalachia as well, and I, I, I really believe that this is the way that Republicans did things, and it's not going to work for that much longer because this president has proven that he knows nothing about anything. During his town hall, the way he spoke about health care was completely illogical. I mean, a normal person would look at that and say, does the leader of the free world know what he's talking about when it comes to health care? Uh, he kept referring it to it as the health care, and it was just very confusing because when you look in places like my native West Virginia, you see people who are very happy with the Affordable Care Act because at least they have some form of a plan. They are covered somehow. And that makes a difference. That makes a difference in their lives. And, and what the president doesn't realize is when he says, okay, um, we Republicans are going to take back control of the U.S. House of Representatives. We're going to take that back from Nancy Pelosi. Well, that requires a net pickup of 16 seats. I don't think the president understands math. If he thinks the Republicans are going to pick up 16 seats to take control of the House, I mean, he is just messed up because he's talking about passing a stimulus plan after that. He doesn't realize how badly people are suffering right now because he's not suffering. He's not going through any of this. So what I really think he ought to wake up to are the facts. And, and I tell you, Roland, when, when I look at this, uh, some research that Pew Research Center did uh, talking about some key facts about black eligible voters in 2020 battleground states, the nine states that are battleground states, you, you hear some really interesting facts, and I'm so glad that Rev is out there doing that. Um, and, and speaking of Georgia, where you are today, uh, the state's 2.4 million black eligible voters make up 32% of the electorate. That's the highest share among nine battleground states. That tells you everything, because in places like Arizona and Iowa, you got a lower share. Like in Iowa, for example, black eligible voters account for just 3% of the state's overall electorate. So again, not that important, but good to see that this, this roadshow, this sort of uh, this uh, caravan wants to go to places because a point you made earlier also about these billionaires wanting to invest somewhere, they need to invest everywhere because these roadshows, these caravans are what's going to change the, the minds of people and get people waking up to the stats because when you know your power, you're more likely to go out and own that power. When we talk about mobilizing people, Kelly, that's really what it's about. But you got to go out there. I think that, again, Ella Baker, uh, Ella, Baker was, Ella Baker was one of the greatest workers. Ella Baker uh, said to SNCC students, go out, take your college clothes off, put your overalls on, go listen to these people. They are smart. They may not have uh, college education. They may not have degrees, but they know exactly what they want. But that's that that's the hard granular work that uh, that pays off down the road. And I think we're seeing that. And I and I, and I think when we start examining uh, these numbers uh, in this election, I think that's what's going to show up. We're seeing it in Texas and North Carolina in South Carolina, in Georgia. We're seeing it in Arizona. You have to put the work in. And so folks that better really pay attention. No, I absolutely agree with you on that. It. I don't want. People need to disabuse themselves of the notion that if you go to college and you graduate from college or uh, any form of higher education, that you are somehow smarter than your per than the your counterpart who did not. That's not the case at all. There are plenty of people out there who have never been to college, who maybe ne never even graduated high school, who are some of the smartest people that I know. They are very invested in this election because their interests are our interests as well. As someone who graduate, who has a higher education and a couple of degrees, my interests match theirs 
and vice versa. There's no difference in that between the two of us. And when I hear about Reverend Barber taking this caravan and going into these places, I don't think that they're less than, and Reverend Barber knows that. They, he knows and his team knows that these are smart people, that they have the same interests as somebody in a metropolitan city because we're all human. So the, the best communication strategy for anybody especially in this election, is to meet people where they are, which is at humanity, not at a, uh, from a viewpoint of elitism or narcissism or any type of, of, of hierarchy. Because at the end of the day, Trump has ruined everybody's life in, this, in, this, uh, in the past four years. Everybody has been affected by him in the most negative way, especially this year, because we are approaching a quarter of a million lives lost because this man doesn't know what he's doing. And he technically does have a college education. He technically does have advanced degree, but he doesn't use them. Clearly, he is an elitist, and that's the difference. So I, I applaud those who are reaching out to others who aren't in that situation, who aren't millionaires, who aren't necessarily, you know, you know uh, again, in, in higher education or <clears throat> among the elite, quote unquote. They know what's going on just as much as we do, and we need to treat them as such. And that's why their vote matters as well, because we're all Americans. A little bit earlier today, folks, uh, out here at the amphitheater in Atlanta, we had a chance to talk with John Ossoff. He is one of uh, the candidates running in the Dem on the Democratic side. Uh, he is running against uh, Senator David Perdue. And uh, what he, of course, what he talked about was uh, uh, the impact in terms of this election and then how the turnout is going. So here's my conversation with a U.S. Senate candidate, John Ossoff. System of militia and to keep and to bear arms. Hence the Second Amendment that has allowed all these guns that are now killing black bodies and white bodies and brown bodies. Hence this idea, this very idea, that policing was to control a certain population, even if it meant death of that population. And then This year, first of all, the state becomes younger and more diverse literally by the hour. And that's changing the politics of the state. There's been a huge voter registration effort. Since Stacey Abrams lost that governor's race by 50,000 votes, we've added more than 800,000 new voters to the rolls here. The second thing is that we're in the middle of a pandemic where it is clear that our leaders have failed us and lied to us. Nearly a quarter of a million Americans dead from a disease that our president and my opponent, Senator David Perdue, both said would be no worse than the flu. People are up in arms about the sorry state of governance in this country, demanding competent leaders who will put our health first. Is it also uh, that Democrats have finally decided to take the South seriously? Uh, Reverend Dr. William Barber and I talked about this all the time, that you can't win if you don't compete. You can't compete if you don't do what's necessary, which is register people, put the resources in. I remember eight years ago, 2012, uh, I'm waiting to go on CNN, uh, then Congressman Chris Van Hollen is there, he was running the DCCC, and I talked about Georgia. He basically said, not gonna be purple, uh, at all. I'm like, yeah, that's the case if you don't do the work. Right. And so the same thing, we see what's happening in North Carolina as well. Are Democrats finally getting real about the South and recognizing the possibilities exist if you run strong candidates, raise money, and you put boots on the ground? 
I think what happened is that Democrats started getting real about that six years ago. We've had leaders with vision here, like Stacey Abrams, who has built institutions and resourced and staffed them to do things like long-term voter registration, to change the shape of the electorate here in Georgia. So that work has been done, and building political power takes time. Right. But the investment has been made, and now with two Senate races in a single state, we have the opportunity to make good on all of that work. And speaking of that, obviously, uh, your uh, opponent, David, uh, David Perdue, uh, he has been, um, uh, of course, was joking about uh, Senator Kamala Harris, her name, then says, oh, oh, he was simply mistaken. You see what's happening also with the ardent support of, of, of Donald Trump as well. Do you think that this massive turnout that we're seeing is because people say, you know what, we are absolutely sick of the last four years and too many Republican senators have allowed Trump to be unchecked? People are sick of the circus, just the constant daily outrage, the way that the country has been deliberately divided, citizens turned against citizens. What we're seeing happening in Georgia right now is the final failure of the GOP's Southern strategy, which began under Richard Nixon, to divide Southerners along racial and cultural lines so that we fail to grasp our shared economic and health interests. And what has emerged in Georgia is a multiracial, multi-generational coalition committed to expanding health care access and economic opportunity, to civil rights, to criminal justice reform. And that new coalition has made the old way of dividing people along racial lines ineffective. So when my opponent decides that the best he can do is to belittle the Democratic vice presidential nominee for her heritage, he's playing an old game that is not going to work in the South anymore. Uh, we just saw Republicans elect excuse me, pick Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, we saw how they attacked, frankly, uh, President Barack Obama with his appointees. Uh, are Democrats also, are they also seeing why you can't ignore the courts? Uh, because you can elect all the folks that you want to Congress, to the Senate, but if, you all, if, they're, if the laws are unconstitutional, you really are having the courts really run the country. Well, I think that there is a heightened understanding of the role that the Senate plays, not just in legislating, but in confirming judicial appointees. And I think that this Supreme Court fight right now has elevated the issue of health care, which was already top of mind in the middle of this pandemic, because the Supreme Court will be hearing oral arguments in the challenge to the ACA just days after the election. So the fact that they have spent their time rushing this justice through, totally hypocritically, from where they were four years ago, instead of, for example, passing more economic relief for working families and small businesses in the middle of a pandemic, speaks to where their values are and their priorities are, and also has made people realize, hey, our health insurance is at risk right now. And what I keep reminding people is that, of course, Democrats keep talking about the Affordable Care Act, that Supreme Court case, they're also going to hear a voting rights case next month as well out of Arizona that could very well gut Section 2 after Section 4 was gutted with the Shelby v. Holder decision. That's right. Shelby v. Holder 2013, they took out Section 4B. Voting Rights Act, the rest of it's on the line. The Civil Rights Act is on the line. Roe v. Wade is on the line. The Affordable Care Act is on the line. And the Senate is the last bulwark against the courts, the federal court system becoming this partisan ideological forum where our health care and our voting rights and our civil rights and the privacy of women's health care will be under sustained attack. That's another reason we have to win these Senate races and folks need to get out and vote. All right, John Olsoff, we certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Great to speak with you.
All right, folks, going to commercial break. When we come back, we will talk about a new batch of ads the Biden campaign uh, have launched targeting black voters. Also, uh, we'll hear from Rep. Pastor Raphael Warnock, who's running for the other U.S. Senate seat here in Georgia. Folks, uh, it's a jam-packed show. Uh, lots more to talk about. We're broadcasting live from Atlanta, uh, where Joe Biden was here with a drive-in rally. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. We'll be right back. And, and this is not a millennial accident. It's done on purpose that they made the gadgets God, or they made the, the gadgets seem like God to tell us everything about everything and make you really search hard to find yourself. So people are all, this is the worldwide religion, regardless of what anybody right. thinks, the electronic religion is the worldwide religion through the phone. So everybody's got their, their heads angled into that. So how do you do to make that instead of it breaking you? You have to be able to have the millennial audience and crowd at least make education not shameful. Right. And also make it say, all right, you know all this, so why are you just keeping it to yourself? Because you're afraid to be the smartest one. If somebody comes out and got their best gear on and all this, Somebody might say, damn, they come in, they come in tight, you know, they kind of like, you know, coming right and real. But if you show off your mind, it's like, why are you showing off? You trying to make us seem stupid? And it was never like that. It's like, you letting us get these jewels now because you got our back. Because you can't give us no money. So the best way I got your back is letting you know the deal. And then I dip off. You come to get it when you want it. But I'm here for that. leaders and workers and unemployed. We are doctors and the uninsured. We are gay. We are straight. We are students. We are parents. We are retirees. We are America. And we are here. And we ain't going nowhere. All right, folks, welcome back to Atlanta right here. Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, the Joe Biden campaign has unveiled a new batch of ads targeting black voters. Check it out. This is Joe Biden. Black lives matter, period. I'm not afraid to say it. Inequities have to be met head on. African-Americans need a fair shake when it comes to economic opportunity, health care, criminal justice, education, and housing. That's why if I'm elected, We'll get COVID under control by listening to the science. We'll raise the minimum wage to a living wage of $15 an hour. We'll protect the Affordable Care Act, provide $100 billion in capital for minority-owned small businesses, offer a real plan to tackle the student debt crisis. We'll root out systemic racism in our criminal justice system, end cash bail, decriminalize marijuana, and automatically expunge prior convictions. Together we can fix this. Let's build back better. But I can't do it without you. Hey, it's so I'm asking for your vote. I'm Joe Biden. 
We need a real plan to get COVID under control. As president, my commitment to you is to listen to the science so we can stay safe and get back to work. I approve this message, and I'm asking for your vote because I can't do it without you. As president, I'll work to reform the criminal justice system, improve community policing, decriminalize marijuana, and automatically expunge prior marijuana convictions. I'm Joe Biden, and that's my commitment to you, and I approve this message. I'm Joe Biden. We have to tackle police misconduct. It's long overdue. As president, I'll make a plan to hold officers accountable when they abuse their power. That's my commitment to you, and that's why I approve this message. I'm Joe Biden. It's time we had a $15 an hour minimum wage so families can earn a living and get ahead. As president, I'll make sure we get it done. I approve this message, and I can't do without you. So join me. This election will decide the rights of Americans for years to come. So it's up to us, each and every one of us, to use every tool we have to fight for ourselves and our families. When we vote, things change. When we vote, things get better. And we can have an economy that works for working families. So I'm Kamala Harris, and I'm asking you to vote for Joe Biden and me so we can move our country forward. We will reform the criminal justice system and automatically expunge prior marijuana convictions. Your vote is your voice. I'll rise up, rise like the day, I'll rise up in spite of the age. I will rise a thousand times again. And we'll choose between change and more of the same. This is your campaign. All right, Mustafa. Good closing uh, series of ads. Are they effective? Should they be uh, saying more? Your thoughts? You know, I think they're powerful. They hit on many of the issues that folks care about. I, I think you also got to continue to kind of go a little bit deeper on some of the specifics, especially for black men and some of the questions that they still have trying to make a decision on who they're going to vote for. Because we know recently, and I don't mind calling it out, that we've had some folks who've been trying to convince black men to vote for Trump. So I think you also got to just make sure that you are addressing all the issues that, that <clears throat> the folks who you need to vote uh, care about. Uh, Rena, Lincoln Project, Project has been putting out some uh, great ads. Your thoughts on those ads there. Are they an effective closing argument to move people to vote in these final seven days? 
You know, those ads were definitely Joe Biden style, and Joe Biden style is very gentle. It's not going to be aggressive over uh, video, for example. You know, he's somebody that definitely takes a different toll, uh, tone, excuse me, when he meets you in person, and, and he's far more adaptable that way. But maybe given his age, it is a little tough for him to come across the way he comes across in person over video. So so effective, I, I think the jury will, is certainly out on that one. But what you heard was the man in his own words. And if you didn't hear genuine empathy there, if you didn't hear genuine passion for public service, then you weren't listening to this ad. Because when you when you hear Joe Biden speak, you hear somebody just very clearly say that this is what makes me who I am. This is the leader I want to be. What I maybe would have liked to have heard was something a little bit different, talking about Trump's failures rather about uh, in, in black America, because all you hear from the Trump re-election campaign is how much he's done for black America, most of which is a lie. And and look, he's done a couple things here and there, HBCUs, what have you. That's, that's all good stuff. I personally think any president would have done that because we were trending in that direction as a country, understanding the value, for example, of HBCUs. Um, but but really, back to, to punching Trump where, where it hurts, I think Joe's really able to do that well in person. These ads are more just to remind you who he is. Kelly? I agree with that. I also agree that these ads are not only effective, but it, they're ref they're reflective of Biden's growth as a candidate and a politician. Um, one of the major critiques of Biden right now, as it has been for this entire election cycle, is the fact that he was one of the authors of the Ninth Four Crime Bill and, and things of that nature regarding criminal reform. And the fact that he can go from that to saying on the record that Black Lives Matter, when there are people who were there in 1994 who endorsed that 1994 bill as well, who will not say those words on the record still, I think that it is reflective of what a good president does. He grows, he listens, he learns, he adapts, and he leans into the change most positive for this country. And not only do the ads reflect that, his platform reflects that, his choice in vice president reflects that, and I feel like should he win, all the choices that he makes from here on out will reflect that as well. All right, then. So we showed those ads there. Here are the latest anti-Trump viral ads. Asked me to wake you and tell you what happened in the election. Who won? Trump. Trump won. But I thought you could only be president two times. Not anymore. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. 
How would Trump have handled the Nazis taking over Europe? He's the head of a country, and I mean, he is the strong head. He speaks and his people sit up at attention. I want my people to do the same. Very fine people on both sides. Or the attack on Pearl Harbor. No, I don't take responsibility at all. It is what it is. How would Trump have responded to the Cuban Missile Crisis? One day it's like a miracle. It will disappear. He just said it's not Russia. I don't see any reason why it would be. How would Trump have reacted to 9-11? Blue states had tremendous death rates. If you take the blue states out, we're really at a very low level. Saudi Arabia, and I get along great with all of them. They buy apartments from me, they spend 40 million, 50 million. Am I supposed to dislike them? I like them very much. When COVID hit, Trump panicked. His failure has resulted in more than 225,000 American deaths, and he continues to deny reality. COVID, COVID. COVID, 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 COVID. We're rounding the corner. It's going away. We need a president who can handle crisis. Because with Trump, this crisis, or the next one, may be our last. Vote Joe. Save America. Midas Touch is responsible for the content of this advertising. I'm going to bring jobs back. We would have jobs, jobs, jobs all over the place. I will bring back jobs. Donald Trump has lost 1,800 factories, and that's pre-pandemic. 26 million Americans have lost their jobs. A Trump administration will stop the jobs from leaving America. We will bring back jobs and factories from China. 185,000 American jobs have been shipped overseas under his watch. Ivanka Trump exclusively outsources the manufacturing of her clothing and accessory lines to overseas factories. We are going to put the miners and the factory workers back to work. We're putting our great coal miners back to work. We've lost more coal jobs under Donald Trump than ever before. We're talking about 740,000 manufacturing jobs lost under his leadership. Trump decided he was going to protect the steel industry, the coal miners, the auto, and it just never appeared. A new study says that the president's strategy of placing tariffs on imports ultimately led to job losses, a trade war sparked by President Trump's tariffs. Harley-Davidson announcing today it's shifting some of its production overseas to avoid the retaliatory tariffs. I felt like he was going to protect our job. We felt like, wow, he didn't lose guys. You always complain that politicians lie. You have lied to us the entire time you've been in office. You were my choice. You won't be again. So we had the nice feel-good ads of Joe Biden, Rena. We had the hard-hitting ads right there. That shows you the contrast. You need both in your closing argument. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's important. You have to have a, the whole kitchen sink strategy. I love to call it that. <laughs> because this is, this is so important, Roland, that we really show who Donald Trump is. I mean, he has done such uh, a, a disservice to the office of the presidency, but what he's really done is economically hit us so hard. I was reading Anthony. just a, uh, just gosh earlier today from CNBC. You know what people are experiencing right now. You and I both know. Many of our viewers know there are people right now sitting with zero dollars in their bank account. Uh, people who you know love their work and just have no way of making it past a month. Uh, you know with nothing left because nobody has chosen to act at the federal level. And what Donald Trump has done, he's held hostage. You know, any kind of things that could, any movement that could happen with Nancy Pelosi, he has an ugly 
effect on everything that's happening at the federal level. And the greatest effect is when I read in this article from CNBC from an uh, economics professor at Western Michigan University. Her name is Jean Kimmel. She says, I want to read this verbatim. The lack of a coherent and sustained federal response to this crisis will leave scars that will last a generation at least. And that's what I'm talking about when I say what, what Trump has done to us is so awful. And I've said this before, uh, you know, over 800,000 of my fellow American women left the job force just last month. That was four times the number of American men that left. And these aren't just married women with children like me. These are single women as well. How much more destruction are we going to allow him to do? How much more destruction are we going to allow this Senate majority of Republicans to do? We must not allow it. They've shown us who they really are. And now it's time we kick them to the curb and start a new day here in America. Because what we deserve is real principled leadership and leadership for all Americans, regardless of the color of their skin. Some people disagree, Kelly, but the reality is fear does indeed work. That one particular ad uh, with, with the mother talking to the kids said, I thought he could only be president for two terms, uh, and she said, not anymore. Look, that was a hell of an ad. That, that was exactly what I was going to comment on, because that sent chills down my spine. No exaggeration. Because he already said that he basically will not leave if it is found that Joe Biden wins this election. It'll be like pulling multiple teeth simultaneously when, you know, positive thinking, when Joe Biden wins this election. So I, I don't know what's going to happen if that, if that uh, is not the case. And that is scary. So if I were not already decided, that definitely would have, you know, straightened me up a bit and be like, let me, let me tick off this box and put my ballot in. Because that is a legitimate fear, given what this president has done. Look at what the Senate just did in terms of co uh, confirming uh, the justice and Comey Barrett. That was not a legitimate confirmation. And yet, and still, it's happened. So that's just a taste. That is just a taste of what can happen, what will happen if Trump is reelected, if these Republicans in the Senate and the House are reelected, if, if, if this stays the same. We cannot afford another four years of this president or his administration or his crony. He, they all have to be voted out. So these commercials for me definitely work, and I definitely hope they work for the American people as well. Mustafa, I don't think people really understand uh, the damage that is being done to our democracy, uh, not only by Donald Trump, but Republicans simply allowing this man to do whatever he wants to do. This is real. There is real fear. Uh, look, he's already uh, put in, uh, made it perfectly clear he is going to fire the FBI director. He is going to fire the head of the, fire the, head of the CIA. He may very, may very well even fire the attorney general because they refuse to do what he wants to do, which frankly is immoral and illegal. Yeah, we've got the disintegration of democracy. Uh, you know, folks really need to pay attention to what this, this man has done. You know, recently he passed an executive order where he can literally get rid of tens of thousands of federal employees, career employees, who no matter what administration continue to do the best that they can to do their job to protect the American public. And he's also trying to then make it easier for folks who have been supportive of him to then embed into the federal government, thereby hoping that his legacy will continue to live on of deregulation and a number of other actions that he has done. 
folks also need to realize, well, let me just back up and say thank you to the Lincoln Project and thank you to Midas for actually creating, you know, not just commercials, but truth-telling about what's really been going on in this country and what to expect if you don't cast your vote for somebody who's willing to actually try and make our country better. Here's the reality of the situation that's going on. You know, they have this false fallacy around Trump and his economy. Folks, actually look at the real numbers. As of before the pandemic, the average salary for an American in our country was $1,002. If you're African-American, it's $840. If you're Latinx, it's $128. So I don't know in what world that is this great economy that they often tout. So folks need to really unpack these numbers, and that's why I appreciate these types of infomercials that give you within 120 seconds the information, the facts, and then allowing you to make a decision for yourself if you want to continue down the road of our country dismantling itself or if you're looking for a brighter tomorrow. All right, folks, got to go to commercial break. When we come back, we'll talk with uh, Pastor Raphael Warnock, who is running for the United States Senate. That is next right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Hey, it's Carrie Washington. Listen, I know that there's a lot that has got to change in our communities, and sometimes it's hard to imagine things getting better. And no, voting will not solve everything, but it is a step forward. So remember, in Ohio, you can vote early in person between October 6th and November 2nd. Plus, if you need a free ride to vote, use the code VOTETOLIVEOH in your Lyft app. Visit VoteToLive.org for more info. Paid for by Collective Future. Hey, South Carolina, it's Magic Johnson. In 2016, almost 7 million black men didn't vote in the election. And I get it. It's tough to believe in a system that keeps letting us down. But we can't push for progress if we don't vote. Bros, please vote early before November 2nd. If you need a free ride to vote, use promo code VOTETOLIVESC in your Lyft app. Visit VOTETOLIVE.org for more information. Paid for by Collective Future. Hey, it's Alfre Woodard. Listen, I know there's a lot that must change in our communities, and sometimes it's hard to imagine things getting better. And no, voting won't solve everything, but it is a step forward. So remember, in Texas, you can vote early in person between October 13th and October 30th. Plus, if you need a free ride to vote, use the code vote to live tx in your Lyft app. Visit VoteToLive.org for information. Paid for by Collective Future. Hey, Florida, this is Rashida Jones, and I have three quick things to tell you. One, you can vote early in person between October 19th and November 1st. Two, if you need a free ride to the polls, use the promo code VOTETOLIVEFL in your Lyft app. And yes, voting is easy and secure, so please visit VoteToLive.org for more information and to make a plan to vote today. Paid for by Collective Future. All right, folks, welcome back to Roller Martin Unfiltered. Uh, Raphael Warnock is the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church. He is running for the United States Senate uh, in the same race, uh, featuring Senator Kelly Loeffler uh, and co- Republican Congressman Doug Collins. I had a chance to talk with him out here uh, at the Joe Biden rally that took place earlier today here in Atlanta. 
Raphael Warnock, uh, you are ladies' poll show. You have both the past uh, Senator Kelly Leffler as well as uh, Congressman Collins. Uh, this race, you got to get 50 plus one percent to win it outright, and so looks like it will, it will go to a runoff. How, what, how are you making the case in these final seven days? And do you see Democrats finally coalescing around you with so many other candidates in this race? Well, thank you so much. It's great to be here with you again. Uh, there is no question that uh, my race is gaining momentum, a lot of steam. Um, I don't want to be on the polar coaster, but uh, all of the numbers are clearly moving in the right direction. I think that in the early months of this campaign, as a first-time candidate, I was putting together a coalition and strengthening our resources. Once we started communicating and people started hearing my message and my biography, a kid who grew up in public housing, first college graduate in my very large family, uh, and my message around health care, the dignity of work, voting rights, the work I've been doing, um, the folks have responded. And um, I, I think we are seeing the consolidation that we need. Uh, we, of course, have seen, I, earlier I talked with uh, John Ossoff, we were seeing what has happened uh, in this state, how, how much has changed. Uh, and the reality is uh, Democrats have finally decided to compete. Uh, and look, <coughs> folks have said for a long time, you can't win if you don't compete. You can't compete if you don't put the resources uh, into a state and also Look at, look at the people who are disaffected, disenfranchised, who are not registered, and you got to work that. That's really what has happened right. uh, in the last six years, ten years in this state. There's no question. Um, we, we saw the potential here a few years ago, and so we've been investing in our own situation here on the ground. When Stacey Abrams started the New Georgia Project a few years ago, I was the spokesperson and then chair of the board. We've registered 400,000 new voters in this state, just that one organization. My church regularly registers voters, other churches do. Voters don't vote for politicians, they vote for themselves. And if they can hear themselves in the narrative and in the agenda, then they show up. We've been intentional about that and we've seen the results. You say we did it ourselves. And the reality is a lot of national Democrats have completely written off the South. Uh, we see it right now. Mike Espy is still uh, trying to get support in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Adrian Perkins in Louisiana as well. Uh, but they're but they're showing uh, when you actually uh, put yourself out there, when you communicate to the voters, uh, you can give yourself a chance. Uh, do you believe that National Democrats now will get the message after 2020 to realize, wait a minute, we we can actually compete and win. You see what's happening here, North Carolina, Jamie Harrison in South right. Carolina, what's happening again, SP Mississippi, Perkins in Louisiana. I mean, that is a perfect example of coalition building, but also boots on the ground, right. knocking on doors, getting people registered to vote, not trying to flip somebody uh, who voted for you last time. Yeah, as goes the South, so goes the rest of the nation. We've seen that throughout the history of our country, if you think about it, whether you're talking about the Civil War, or the civil rights movement, and now this new defining moment uh, in America where we're pushing against the new Jim Crow, you know, mass incarceration, pushing against police brutality, talking about the ways in which civil rights and human rights uh, must be the lens through which we engage all of these issues. We're seeing the results uh, of that. Stacey Abrams came within 55,000 votes of winning in 2018, and that while running against a man who was both the player on the field with her and the umpire calling balls and strikes, he still barely squeaked by. Since then, we've registered 800,000 new voters in the state. 49% of them are people of color. 45% of them are under 30. 
we have the coalition. It is multiracial, it is multi-generational, and I, I believe that coalition is standing up as we speak. Uh, what do you say to the person, uh, look at that camera right there, what do, you say, what do you say to the person who says, you know what, I'm sorry, I haven't seen change in my community. I haven't seen anything take place. I think voting is a waste of time. I'd rather just go protest. What do you say to that particular person? I would say to that person that uh, America is a complicated story of people building a more, perf more perfect union. And if you don't think there's been any change, you should sit down with Andrew Young. Uh, you should sit down from some of the folks in that generation who know the distance we've come. And um, uh, as we continue to push hard, change comes. The other side knows your power. The other side knows your voice. That's why they're engaged in voter suppression. If you weren't so powerful, they wouldn't be trying so hard to stop you from voting. And so you ought to stand up in this defining moment in American history and win the future for all of our children. All right. That's the Warnock. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Good to be with you. All right. Good to see you. Bye, Fred, brother. Yes, sir. Indeed. Take 06, care. 06, baby. All right. Let's talk about the U.S. Senate races. Rena, I want to start with you. We look at the map. Republicans are trying to defend lots of seats. You, of course, uh, have got the race in Arizona, Colorado, Maine, Iowa, Kansas, two in Georgia, North Carolina, Texas, also Montana. Uh, of course, Democrats, now, now things have tightened in Minnesota. I'll be in uh, Michigan tomorrow in the Gary Peters race. Uh, but Democrats are, are, are feeling very uh, good about their chances of retaking the United States Senate. Yeah, I mean, this is serious because, look, the, what Lincoln Project has done really well and I think continues to do, just as Midas Touch and really American are doing too, not just these bombastic ads, but really tying Trump's enablers in the Senate to his actions. I mean, these are people that have just, they've just recessed. They're gone now, today. They have left without passing any kind of bill for the American people. So obviously these races, uh, you know, you see these Republican opponents, they, they can't light a fire to some of the, their Dem opponents. But the reality is, is that the, these Republicans are going to have to pay the price for what they've done to the American people by bowing at the altar of Trump. There is just no good way to put it. And the battlegrounds, look, I mean, this is this has been a, such a mystifying, I think, uh, past few weeks for folks like myself, because this is, this is math that we've never done as operatives. This is um, not only are the final weeks of a presidential race just just fraught with tension, but the the narrow leads Biden is holding in places like Florida, Arizona. I'm just going to come out and say it, Roland. I really believe in my heart of hearts. There's some some math that I've seen, and, and mind you, I'm somebody that wakes up every day and looks at 5:38, and and they're polling an incredible place to to learn more about these these just numbers that are so unusual. We've never seen this. Um, at least I've not seen it. I'm a young operative, but modern presidential politics, this is this is unusual. I'm going to make my prediction here, and I know this is a little tough, but I believe um, tough for some people to accept. But this is this is what I feel. I believe if Michigan and Florida are called, um, it's it. That's it for Biden. It's going to be it's going to be his Michigan and Florida. That's where I'm looking. Those two together called together for Biden. It's his. Our Republicans did nothing uh, except uh, uh, move Amy Coney Barrett forth as the next Supreme Court justice. Are they going to pay a price? Do you think they're going to lose the United States Senate? I definitely do. Um, the majority of, of the majority in the Senate isn't by much, 
and we only need a couple seats to make a majority for the Democrats to make majority in the Senate. And the key states, in order to do so, have been directly impacted by COVID, like the rest of America, but have been severely impacted by COVID, have been severely impacted by the downfall of this economy as a result of COVID, and, and all the, the ramifications that Trump has implicated onto these states just throughout his presidency in general. Uh, so yes, I absolutely believe that it will impact the Senate. And again, it doesn't take much. I believe Reverend Barber said earlier, they were focused on one person getting into the uh, SCOTUS bench, but almost a quarter million people were disregarded by the Senate in order for that to happen. And that is registering with the American people. The fact that the Senate, the Republicans in the Senate had so little disregard for their own constituents is, is appalling to not just me, but to everyone who really paid attention to this entire process. So I definitely think it's gonna have an impact on those races. And I am excited in advance for it to flip over back to the Democratic side. All right, then, uh, Kelly, Mustafa, and Rena, we certainly appreciate uh, both of you, all three of you being uh, on today's show. Thank you so uh, very much. Thank you. Take care. Folks, we're here uh, broadcasting, of course, uh, from Atlanta, Battleground State, where Joe Biden earlier today had uh, a rally out here. Common uh, was out here performing as well with Pastor William Murphy. Uh, but while that was happening, President Barack Obama, he was speaking, of course, today uh, in Florida. He has really been hitting it hard. He's been traveling around the country. He's in Florida. Uh, he's been uh, in uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania as well. And so in a moment, we're going to play uh, that speech of uh, uh, President Barack Obama. But we want to encourage you folks to support what we do here at Roland Martin Unfiltered by joining our Bring the Funk fan club. Your dollars make it possible for us to be able to travel on the road, for us to be able uh, to cover events along those li these lines here. Look, I, look we, you know, we've been, we were in South Carolina last night uh, with Jamie Harrison. We were in uh, North Carolina last week in Raleigh, North Carolina. That's it for us. If you want to support what we do here at Roland Martin Unfiltered, you can, of course, join our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, dollar sign. Dollar sign. Uh, cash at dollar sign. RM Unfiltered. PayPal.me forward slash R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo.com is forward slash RM Unfiltered. Uh, you also can send a money order to New Vision Media, Inc., 1625 K Street, Northwest, Suite 400, Washington, D.C., 2006. As I said, tomorrow I'll be interviewing, interview, be interviewing Michigan Senator Gary Peters live tomorrow there in Detroit. I'll be in Detroit tomorrow broadcasting Roland Martin Unfiltered. So look forward to being there. Uh, as I said, President Barack Obama was on the campaign trail today uh, supporting Joe Biden, laid into Jared Kushner for his comments about African-Americans needing to be successful or wanting to need to be successful in an interview on Fox News. Here is President Barack Obama on the campaign trail. crowd here. Thank you so much. Can everybody please give Lorden a big round of applause for that great introduction? What an outstanding young man. Now, it is good to be back here in Florida. I don't know if we've got any uh, Tampa Bay Rays fans here in Orlando. Big game tonight. It's do or die time. 
Now, the last time the Rays were in the World Series in 2008, Florida sent me to the White House. Now, the Rays fell just a bit short then, but here in Florida, Democrats fell a little bit short in 2016 also. Over the next couple of weeks, Florida, you've got the chance to fix two mistakes. You've got the chance to set two things right. You can bring a World Series championship to the Sunshine State, and you can send Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to the White House. We got one week, Orlando. One week. Si se puede. One week until the most important election of our lifetimes. And you don't have to wait until next Tuesday to cast your ballot. You've got two ways to vote right now. Number one, you can vote early in person right now. Number two, you can vote from home with a mail-in ballot. Do not, don't wait. Put it in the mail or drop it off at a Dropbox location today. Don't take any chances. Just get it done. Just go. Just go to IWillVote.com to find out where you can early vote in person or drop off your ballot. If you've already voted, how many, how many of you have already voted? If you've already voted, then your job is to go help your friends and family make a plan to vote. Because this election requires every single one of us. And what we do this week will matter for decades to come. Now, I've sat in the Oval Office with both of the men who are running for president. And just in case you couldn't tell, they're very different people. I didn't think that Donald Trump would embrace my vision or my policies, but I did hope for the country's sake that he might show some interest in taking the job seriously. But he didn't. He hasn't shown any interest in doing the work or helping anybody but himself and his friends, or treating the presidency as anything more than a reality show that can give him the attention that he craves, and he does crave attention. This week, it, with all, everything that's happening, you know what he brought up? He, he was fussing about the crowd size at the inauguration again, saying his was bigger. I, who, who... Who is thinking about that right now? Nobody except him. But the rest of us have had to live with the consequences. More than 225,000 people in this country are dead. More than 100,000 small businesses have closed. Half a million jobs are gone in Florida alone. Think about that. And what... What's his closing argument? That people are too focused on COVID. He said this at one of his rallies. COVID, 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 he's complaining. He's jealous of COVID's media coverage. If he had been focused on COVID from the beginning, cases wouldn't be reaching new record highs across the country this week. If we were focused on COVID now, the White House wouldn't be having its second 
outbreak in a month. The White House. Let me say this. I lived in the White House for a while. You know, it's a controlled environment. You can take some preventive measures in the White House to avoid getting sick. Except this guy can't seem to do it. He's turned the White House into a hot zone. Some of the places he holds rallies have seen new spikes right after he leaves town. And over the weekend, his chief of staff said, and I'm quoting here, I'm not making this up. His chief of staff on a news program says, we're not going to control the pandemic. He just said this. Yes, he did. And yes, we noticed you're not going to control the pandemic. Listen, winter is coming. They're waving the white flag of surrender. Florida, we can't afford four more years of this. That's why we've got to send Joe Biden to the White House. Because we cannot afford this kind of incompetence and disinterest. Twelve years ago, when I chose vice president, I didn't know Joe all that well. We served in the Senate together. I noticed, by the way, one of my great friends, Ben Nelson. I, Bill Nelson, say, I, I haven't seen Bill in a while, so that's why. Plus, he's wearing a mask, but you know, one, of, one of the great senators from, from Florida. And Joe, Joe and I served together with him. And, you know, I had a lot of friends in the Senate, but Joe and I wasn't the closest person. But he and I came from different places. We came from different generations. But I quickly came to admire Joe as a man who learned early to treat everybody he meets with dignity and respect. And Bill will testify to this. Joe's somebody who lives by the words his parents taught him. No one's better than you, Joe, but you're better than nobody. He believes everybody counts. He believes everybody's important. And that empathy, that decency, that belief in other people, that's who Joe is. And that's who he'll be. I can tell you, the presidency doesn't change who you are. It reveals who you are. And Joe, time and time again, has shown himself to be a man of principle and character, and he's going to be a great president. For eight years, Joe was the last one in the room whenever I faced a big decision. He made me a better president, and he's got the character and the experience to make us a better country. And he and Kamala are going to be in the fight, not for themselves, but for every single one of us. Listen, you've got a president right now. He wants full credit for an economy that he inherited. He wants zero blame for the pandemic he ignored. But you know what? The job doesn't work that way. You've got to be responsible 24-7. You've got to pay attention 24-7. Tweeting at the TV doesn't fix things. Watching TV all day doesn't fix things. Making stuff up doesn't fix things. You've got to have a plan if you want to make people's lives better. You've got to put in the work if you want to make people's lives better. And along with the experience to get things done, Joe Biden has concrete plans and he's got concrete policies that will turn our vision of a better, fairer, stronger country into a reality. Look, here's the truth. 
The pandemic would have been challenging for any president. But this idea that somehow this White House has done anything but completely screw this thing up is nonsense. South Korea had its first case of COVID at the same time, the same week as the United States. Do you know that their per capita death rate is just 1.3% of what ours is? Think about that statistic. I've, I've given this statistic a couple times and, and people haven't really focused on it. The number of people in Korea who have died of COVID per capita is one, less than one and a half percent what our death rate is. That's thousands and thousands of people if we had been as effective and responsible whose lives would have been saved in this country. Just across the border in Canada, the death rate per capita is 39% what ours here is in the United States. We are the largest, the wealthiest, most powerful country on earth, and we cannot somehow get a grip on this because our government hasn't been doing its job. Last week, when our, and, and last week when Trump was asked if he'd do anything differently, you know what he said? He said, not much. Not much. Really? Not much? You can't think of anything that you might be doing differently? Like, maybe you shouldn't have gotten on TV and suggested we might inject bleach to cure COVID? That's not something you said, you know, maybe I shouldn't have said that? Not much. Think about how hard the tourism industry has been hit right here in Orlando, right here in Florida. You lost one spring training season already, and he can't think of doing anything differently. Joe takes this seriously. He knows the emotional toll on grandparents when they can't see and hug their grandkids. He's not going to screw up testing. He's not going to call scientists idiots. He's not going to host super spreader events at the White House and then take it on a tour all across the country. Joe will get this pandemic under control with a plan to make testing free and widely available. He's going to get a vaccine to every American cost-free. And he's going to make sure our frontline heroes never have to ask other countries for the equipment that they need to keep themselves safe. His plan will guarantee paid sick leave for workers and parents affected by the pandemic. He's going to make sure that small businesses that hold our communities together and employ millions of Americans can reopen safely. And he understands that we're not going to rebuild the economy and put people back to work until we get this pandemic under control. It's not that complicated. Donald Trump likes to claim he built this economy, but I just want to remind you that America created 1.5 million more jobs in the last three years of the Obama-Biden administration than in the first three years of the Trump-Pence administration. That's a fact. Look it up. And that was before Trump could blame the pandemic.
He, in fact, inherited the longest streak of job growth in American history. But just like everything else he inherited, he screwed it up. And the economic damage that he inflicted by botching the pandemic response means he will be the first president since Herbert Hoover to actually lose jobs. First president since Herbert Hoover back in the 30s. That's a long time, people. That's almost 100 years ago. He loves to talk about black unemployment. Look how low black unemployment. Well, you know what? Unemployment was really high when I came in and we brought that unemployment low and it kept on going low. And he wants to take credit for it, says he's the best president for black folks since Abe Lincoln. Man, now his advisors are out there saying, including his son-in-law, his son-in-law says black folks have to want to be successful. That's the problem. Who are these folks? What history books do they read? Who do they talk to? Don't read? Is that what is going on? Black unemployment hit almost 17% during the Great Recession 10 years ago. And through a lot of hard work, Joe Biden and I helped get it down. And it kept on going down. Not because Trump did anything. And then this year, because they screwed up the pandemic response, it soared back up to above 17% here in Florida, but it doesn't have to be that way, Florida, if you go out and vote. Si se puede. Yes, we can. Listen, the only people truly better off than they were four years ago are the billionaires that got Trump's tax cuts. In the meantime, he has not been able to manage extending relief to millions of families who can't pay the rent right now, can't put food on the table right now, got no plan to reopen schools that need reopening or protecting teachers in the process. You know, I, I don't understand how it is that he cannot organize Republicans in Congress to do the right thing. And it's not like it's his money that we're asking to pay because he doesn't pay taxes. Barely pays income taxes. We know he's got a secret Chinese bank account, so he's, it, he, he may be paying taxes to the Chinese, but he's not paying taxes here. First year in the White House, only paid $750 in taxes, in federal income taxes. $750. Can you imagine that? I mean, teachers pay more than that. You know, social workers pay more than that in taxes. Huh? Soldiers, folks, folks in uniform pay more in taxes than that. So how are you living large and you're not willing to, to do the right thing to make sure that we're able to pay for quality schools for our kids, to provide veterans benefits for those who've earned them. Joe Biden has a plan to create 10 million good, clean energy jobs right here in America. It's part of his plan to protect Florida from climate change, 
and secure environmental justice. And he's going to pay for it by rolling back those tax cuts to billionaires. And the thing is, Joe doesn't just want to get back to where we were. He finally wants to make some long overdue changes so that our economy actually makes life a little easier for everybody. The waitress trying to raise a kid on her own. The student trying to figure out how to pay for next semester's classes. The shift worker who's worried about maybe being laid off. The cancer survivor who's worried that her pre-existing conditions might prevent her from being able to get coverage. And speaking of health care, by the way, I, you may have noticed Republicans love saying right before an election how they're going to protect people who have pre-existing conditions. Have you noticed that? Well, you know what? Joe and I actually protected them 10 years ago with the Affordable Care Act. And, you know, those same Republicans who say they're going to protect them, somehow they have tried to repeal or undermine the Affordable Care Act more than 60 times. And each time they try to repeal it, they say, oh, we've got a great replacement. It's coming. It's I, everybody's a little young here, but you, you, you guys remember Papa? Yeah. And, and remember that guy who always needed to borrow some money for a hamburger? Yeah. He said, don't worry, I'm going to be paying you back sometime soon. That's like Republicans with health care. They always say it's coming soon. We're going to be paying you back with a great replacement plan. But that, new, that two weeks has been 10 years coming now. For the last 10 years, every two weeks, they say we're going to have a great health care plan. You know where it is? Because I don't. The reason they don't have a plan is because a plan doesn't exist. They've never had one. They've instead attacked the Affordable Care Act at every turn, driving up costs, driving up the uninsured. Now they're trying to get the Supreme Court to take away your health care. Right now, as quickly as they can, in the middle of a pandemic, with nothing but empty promises to take its place. Think about what that would do to families right here in Florida. Florida has the highest enrollment under the Affordable Care Act of any state in America. Last week, Trump flat out said he hopes the Supreme Court takes your health insurance away. Said it out loud. Don't boo. Vote. And last night, he installed the Supreme Court justice who he hopes will help him do it. Don't boo. Vote. Florida, this is serious. And Joe and Kamala will protect your health care. They will expand Medicare. They'll make insurance more affordable for everybody. Because Joe knows that a president's first job is to keep us safe from all threats, foreign, domestic, and microscopic. When the daily intelligence briefings flash warning lights about a virus, the president can't ignore it, can't be too lazy to read the briefing. When Russia puts bounties on the heads of our soldiers in Afghanistan, the commander-in-chief can't be MIA, missing in action. Joe Biden would never call the men and women of our military suckers or losers. 
because they're willing to sacrifice their lives on behalf of the American people. Joe Biden understands those troops are somebody's kids, somebody's dad, somebody's mom, somebody's husband, somebody's wife, somebody's father or mother. And Joe Biden understands that there is glory and goodness in being willing to sacrifice on behalf of others, something that apparently this administration just doesn't comprehend. Our current president, he whines that 60 minutes is too tough. You think he's going to stand up to dictators? He thinks Leslie Stahl's a bully. Just yesterday, just yesterday, he said that Putin of Russia, Xi of China, and Kim Jong-un of North Korea want him to win. We know. We know because you've been giving them whatever you want for the last four years. Of course they want you to win. That's not a good thing. You shouldn't brag about the fact that some of our greatest adversaries think they'd be better off with you in office. Of course they do. What does that say about you? I mean, think about that. Why are you bragging about that? Come on. And that doesn't make any sense. Joe Biden wouldn't coddle dictators. He'll promote human rights around the world, including in Cuba. Joe will restore our battered standing around the world because he knows our true strength comes from setting an example that the world wants to follow. A nation that stands with democracy, not dictators. A nation that can inspire and mobilize others to overcome threats like climate change and terrorism and poverty and disease. And here's one other thing. Joe and Kamala, when they are in office, they're not going to have, you're, you're not going to have to think about them every single day. You're not going to have to worry about what crazy things they're going to say, what they're going to tweet. They're just going to be too busy doing the work. It just won't be so exhausting. You'll be able to go about your lives knowing that the president's not going to retweet conspiracy theories about secret cabals running the world. Or suggest, I mean, listen, our president of the United States retweeted a, a post that claimed that the Navy SEALs didn't actually kill bin Laden. Think about that. And we act like, well, okay. It's not okay. We're not going to have a president when Joe Biden's in office that goes out of his way to insult people just because they don't support him. He'll be a president for all people, including people who didn't vote for him. Because he knows that's the job of being president. I mean, we've gotten so numb to what is bizarre behavior. We have a president right now who lies multiple times a day. I, and this is not my claim. I, even Fox News sometimes says, well, what he says isn't really true. He didn't mean it.
It's not normal behavior. We wouldn't tolerate it from a co-worker. We wouldn't tolerate it from a football coach. We wouldn't tolerate it from a, a, a high school principal. We would we I mean, we might have to put up with it if it was a family member, but we talk about them afterwards. Even Florida man wouldn't be doing some of this stuff. Why would we accept it from President of the United States? And you know what? I, I mean, sometimes it's almost too easy to make fun of it, but it's serious. There are consequences to his actions. If he was just on Jerry Springer or something, it, you know, you'd say, well, but, but this, is, this is the most powerful office on earth. And when people see the president doing things like that, it emboldens other people to be mean and cruel and divisive and racist. And it frays the fabric of our lives. It affects the way our children see things. When we tell our children to tell the truth, and then we have the person in the highest office in the land who doesn't seem capable of doing so, that undermines our society. It affects the way our families get along. It, it affects the way the world looks at America. And it distracts from the truly destructive actions that his cronies are doing all across the government as we speak, actions that affect your lives. You've got the Environmental Protection Agency that's supposed to protect our air and our water, it's run by an energy lobbyist that gives polluters free reign to dump unlimited poison into our air and our water. It's not right. It ain't right. The Labor Department, that's supposed to protect workers. It's run by a corporate lobbyist who's declared war on workers, trying to gut protections to keep essential folks safe during a pandemic making it easier for big corporations to steal their wages. The Interior Department that's supposed to protect our public lands, our wilderness, the Everglades, it's run by an oil lobbyist who's just fine with selling them to the highest bidder. You've got an Education Department run by a billionaire who has got gutted rules designed to protect students from getting ripped off by for-profit colleges, and that is stiff-arming students looking for loan relief in the middle of an economic collapse. You've got the person who runs Medicaid trying not to get more people on the Medicaid so they've got better health care, but to kick more people off of Medicaid. Come on. It ain't right. So what are you going to do about it? You got to vote. You've got to vote. When Joe and Kamala, when Joe and Kamala are in charge, they're not going to surround themselves with hacks and lobbyists. They're going to surround themselves with qualified public servants who actually are serious about doing their job, who are looking out for you, for your job, your family, your health, your communities, your planet. And that, more than anything, is what separates them from their opponents. They actually care about you. They actually care about every American. 
and they're going to be fighting on your behalf every single day. They're not going to get everything right every time. They're not going to solve every problem right away, but they're going to be working on it every single day to see how can I make sure this little brand new baby right here is inheriting a better world. That's what they care about. I will say that I miss kissing babies during pandemic. I can't do it, but uh, look at that little bundle right there. Brand new. It's got the new baby smell. Congratulations. But, but Joe and Kamala, they care deeply about people and they care about our democracy. They believe that in a democracy, the right to vote is sacred. We shouldn't be making people wait in line for hours. We should be making it easier for everybody to vote, not harder. They believe that no one, especially the president, is above the law. They understand the protest isn't un-American. This country was founded on protesting against injustice. And we don't threaten to throw our political opponents in jail just because we disagree with them. That's what happens in dictatorships. It doesn't happen in the United States of America. Joe and Kamala understand that our ability to work together to solve big problems like the pandemic depends on more than just photo ops. It depends on applying facts and logic and science and not making things up, not flooding the internet with misinformation. These should not be Republican or Democratic values. They're what we grew up learning from our parents and our grandparents. They're not white or black or Hispanic or Asian or Native American values. They're supposed to be American values. And we have to reclaim them right now. And how are we going to do that? By voting. We've got to turn out like never before, Orlando. We have to leave no doubt. We can't be complacent. We were complacent last time. Folks got a little lazy. Folks took things for granted. And look what happened. Not this time. Not in this election. I understand there's some Americans who get frustrated by government. They feel like, oh, it doesn't make enough a difference. My vote won't make a difference. Listen, the government's not perfect. It's not going to solve every problem. But a good government can make things better. Things were better when I left office than when I started. They weren't perfect, but they were better. A president shouldn't make things worse. A president by himself can't solve every challenge facing our economy. But if we elect a president who cares, and we elect a House and a Senate, and a State House and a State Senate that are focused on working people and getting you the help you need, it can make a difference. A president by himself can't eliminate all racial bias in our criminal justice system. But if we elect district attorneys and state's attorneys and sheriffs and police chiefs focused on equality and justice, it can make things better. 
And that's what voting's about. Not making things perfect, but making them better. It's about putting us on track so that a generation from now we can look back and say, hey, things started getting better. It's about using the power we have and pulling it together to make sure that we have a government that's more concerned, more responsive, more focused on you. And you know what? When I hear people say, well, I don't know, I voted last time and things didn't change as much as I thought. Listen, we've never come close to seeing what it would be like if everybody voted. In 2008, that was the highest voting rate in modern presidential history. You know what? We only got to 61%. That means 39% of the folks didn't vote who were eligible to vote. What would happen if suddenly we started getting 70% voting rates? What, what, what would happen if we got 60, 70% of the people voting instead of 55% of people voting? The, the, the country would be transformed. Imagine. Imagine January 20th. And we swear in a president and a vice president who have a plan to deal with this pandemic effectively, who believe in science, who have a plan to protect this planet for our children, who care about working Americans, who have a plan to help you start getting ahead, who believe in racial equality, who are willing to do the work to bring us closer to the ideal that no matter what you look like, where you come from, who you love, how much money you got, you can make it here in America. You'll be treated with respect and dignity and justice here in America. Imagine a president when Puerto Rico gets hit by a hurricane, doesn't respond just by throwing paper towels, but says those are Americans. And we've got to make sure that we get in the help they need as quickly as possible. That's what you should expect from a president. And if you're not getting that, then you have to go out there and vote to make it happen. All of that is possible. All of that is within our reach. For all the times these past four years when we've seen our worst impulses revealed. The good news is we've also seen our best impulses revealed. We've seen folks of every age and background packed city centers and town squares so that families wouldn't be separated. I've got a friend, uh, Jose Andres, great restaurateur, took it upon himself, went down to Puerto Rico after the hurricane, organized thousands of meals just on his own because he was seeing that the response wasn't quick enough. Just did it on his own. That is America. We, we, saw, we saw people out on the streets saying, we're not going to have our classrooms shut up anymore. We, we've seen people activated to make sure our kids don't grow up on an uninhabitable planet. We've seen healthcare workers, so many of them all across the country, risk their lives every single day just to save somebody else's loved ones. We've seen people contribute and volunteer to neighbors that have been hit hard. We've seen Americans of all races joining together to declare in the face 
of injustice and brutality at the hands of the state that black lives matter, no more but no less, so that no child in this country should feel the continuing sting of racism. That's true in Orlando, it's true in Florida, it's true all across this country. America is a good and decent place, but we've just seen so much noise and nonsense and distortion, and sometimes it's hard for us to remember. But Orlando, I'm asking you to remember what this country can be, what it should be, what it must be. I'm asking you to believe in Joe's ability to lead this country out of these dark times, to help us build it back better. Don't abandon those who are hurting right now. We can't abandon the kids who aren't getting the education they need right now. We can't abandon all those young people who are out on the streets who inspired us. We got to channel their activism into action. We can't just dream for a better future. We got to fight for a better future. We've got to out hustle the other side. We've got to vote like never before and leave no doubt. So make a plan. Vote as early as you can. Grab your friends and your family. Get them to vote all the way up and down the ticket. And if we pour all our efforts into this final week, if we vote like never before, then we will elect Joe Biden, President of the United States. We'll elect Kamala Harris, Vice President of the United States. We will establish once again what this country stands for, what our values are, who we are as a people. Let's get to work, Florida. Let's bring it home. I love you, Orlando. I love you, Florida. Honk if you're fired up. Honk if you're ready to go. Are you fired up? Are you ready to go? I'm fired up. Let's go do this thing. Let's bring it home. Thank you. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.